Thank you for listening to the following sermon from Pine Grove Community Church in Rylander, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit us at pinegrove-wi.com. We hope you enjoy the sermon. So we have uh, sung about angels. We've heard from Pastor Jeff about angels. And uh, don't neglect how miraculous, amazing the coming of Christ was. There was angels that appeared in the sky and the shepherds. And uh, we know that the angels came to the shepherds. And coming to the shepherds reminds us that the purpose of God in sending His Son wasn't to send Him to the elite and the proud, but to the weak and the small and the humble. So as we look at Christ coming into the world to bear witness to the truth, you should be reminded that the one thing that will keep you from seeing the truth of God is your pride. That You are often very stubborn. Hard-headed, hard-hearted, and it will require us humbling ourselves like a shepherd to receive the truth that Christ is the Savior of all who will come to Him. So we are looking in the Gospel of John at specific statements that Jesus from His own lips tells us why He came. That's what we're looking at, his purposes. And this morning we're going to look at him telling us that he came to bear witness to the truth. So kids, have you gotten angry at somebody for telling the truth? That ever happened to you? I mean, you like that person and enjoy playing with that person, but when they tell the truth about something that you don't want the truth to be told, and you can go from liking to despising in a nanosecond. That ever happened to you? Why is that? Why are we like that? One of the consistent questions we get in the kids' bulletins that they fill out is, why do I sin? (laughs) Well, you can blame your parents for that, and all the way on back to Adam. That's because we love lies. Our hearts, it says in Jeremiah 17, are deceitful above all else, desperately wicked. And Christ came to save us from that. We're going to look in the Gospel of John at four different places. We're actually going to start towards the end of the Gospel of John, in John chapter 18. But we'll be in John 18, John 1, John 8, and John 14. So you're going to have to bear with jumping around the Gospel of John a bit. So here it will begin in John 18. Uh, I'm just going to read one verse there, verse 37. But the context here is Jesus is been given over to Pilate, the Ro- Roman governor, and Pilate is interviewing him. Pilate knows he's innocent. Uh, Pilate... Do- doesn't want to pay the political price, and so he's going to kill Jesus. And uh, Jesus is telling him that he is a king, but not like Pilate meets. He's a far greater king. 
He doesn't need weapons or armies. All he needs is the truth. So we're in verse 37. Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. Note that for this purpose. Christmas, for this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. All right, now jump to the beginning of John's Gospel. John chapter 1. We'll read there verses 14 to 18. Verse 14 is one of the most glorious verses in the entire Bible. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This is He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. And then John chapter 8. I'm going to read a bit lengthier section here, so bear with me. We'll begin in verse 31. There's some very famous statements well known in the book of John about truth. This will be one of them. You'll know it. John chapter 8, 31, and we're going to read till uh, verse 47. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, note that, this isn't the kind of believing you think it is, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, kids, and the truth will set you free. They answered. They were offended by that. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Slave... The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. There's the truth that sets you free right there. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. 
The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And last from John 14, we'll read verses 5 to 9. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, right? Another very famous statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Let's pray. God, you are great and merciful. You hold the hearts of all men in your eternal hands. And so please form our hearts according to your word, the truth, which is according to the image of your Son. And may Christ the word be all our strength and comfort. And so God, please come help us and open our hearts and minds and ears to the truth. Amen. Okay, so truth. We've read in John 18 that Christ came to bear witness to the truth. I, for this purpose, I was born for this purpose, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. We've heard that this truth is that which provides freedom. We've heard that because Jesus is the embodiment, He is this truth. He is in Him life, that He is the only way to the Father. And so, it uh, would be helpful if you gave your fullest attention to hearing it, wouldn't it? If you put out of your minds everything else, if you gave yourselves, made yourself, took hold of yourself, and focused. So kids, if you have a coach, sometimes they might get frustrated with you during practice because you're not focusing. You're somewhere else. So take hold of yourself. Ask God for His mercy to pay close attention. One of the faults you can have in you if you've been a Christian for quite a while is you just go through the motions. You uh, are here, but you, unlike the others, don't need this. Because you know Jesus. You know the truth. You sometimes listen for the sake of others, not for yourselves. Be careful of that. Come and hear yourself. Receive truth. What we first need to begin with is John 1, this glorious statement in verse 14. And my constant experience with this verse is I have no idea what it really means. There is a world of glory in this one verse. It reminds me in Proverbs 30 of how little we know. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I the knowledge of the Holy One who has ascended to heaven and come down. We know the truth of God, and yet we know so little of it. And Jesus here is the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. 
In verse 1 of John 1, you have that term word used. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, at its simplest, at its most simple, this is just saying Jesus is God. That this one born of Mary, that this man that the Apostle John saw, is the eternal divine word through which everything exists. He was in the beginning. He, When in the beginning, God spoke and created the world, the word, Christ, the Son of God, had existed from all time before that. And as God spoke creation, it was the Son of God, the word, creating everything. I don't know how to get our mind around that. I don't know how to explain that except to sit and like shut your mouth and go, my goodness. So he's God. The word was God. The word is God. So kids, this Jesus being born of his mother Mary, what do we know about him? He's utterly unlike you. He's infinitely greater than you are. And yet he is so caring towards us that he was willing to take on flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus is the divine word, the glory of God, the eternal God made human. He is fully God and fully man in one person. So Jesus is God, and when they saw him, what did they see? How does John describe seeing Jesus on earth for three years, hearing what he said, seeing how he treated people, watching his miracles, being tended to by him, seeing his death, seeing his resurrection, seeing his ascension, what does John, what words does John use to describe what they saw? Yeah. They saw full, brimming, divine grace and truth. That's what they saw. They saw one who embodied scripture in every way, and in that was utterly full of grace and mercy and kindness and compassion. They saw not an elitist, never happy, always frustrated God, but a God made flesh coming to bear the sins of the world without compromising truth. In fact, so solid was he in the truth that the one reason that they killed him was because he would never compromise the truth. And that was grace. So they saw one just full of divine, full, full, full to the full of grace and truth. And you contrast that with the world that he came into. Look at verse 11. Or uh, 10 and 11. He was in the world. The world was made through him. Now this isn't talking about inanimate creation. This is talking about people. 
He made people. These people were made through him, yet these people didn't know him. Now that didn't know him wasn't like you went to high school with somebody and 40 years later you don't recognize him because, you know, they're fat now or something. Or they've lost all their hair. Really? That's not the kind of not knowing him here. This is a moral, stubborn refusal to recognize him. This is a sin issue. You imagine that. Is there anything more disloyal, more evil than a child who refuses to recognize his father? Imagine that. That's our world. And verse 11 narrows it down to the Jews. He came to his own, his own nation, his own people, his brothers and sisters, the people who shared his last name, the people who shared his ancestry, the people who shared his language, the people who were his people. He came to them. And it intensifies it to his own people. Surely, if the world full of people didn't recognize him, surely his own would recognize him. He was plopped down in Oneida County and nobody recognized him, so he went to his address, to his home, to his own. They didn't receive him. What's it saying here? You're all liars. That's what it's saying. He who is truth in flesh, he who is God in flesh, came to a world full of liars. Our hearts are deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. We saw this just in spades in chapter 8. Flip there. So it's using... The Bible does this consistently from beginning to end. God created all peoples, all nations, but he chose the Jewish people as his own through which to bring his son. And they are typical of all of us. So here you have Jesus doing miracles telling them the truth. And in verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they were enraged at that. Why? What part of that just set them off? What part of that? Yeah, I'll set you free. What? We're free. What are you talking about? We're Abraham's children. God is our father. What are you talking about? I don't need your freedom. I'm free. Jesus called them liars. Deceivers. He says a lot more, doesn't he? Abraham isn't your father. God surely isn't your father. The devil's your father. 
And the point is, if that's true of the people that God chose out of all the world, gave his word to, gave his promises to, gave his covenant to, gave all the signs, how much more everybody else? If they who had some light are children of the devil and full of lies, how much more everybody else? So this is, this is the truth that he came to bear witness to. This is it. I mean, it's not only it, but this is the first truth that he came to bear witness to. At the end in John 18, when Jesus is speaking to Pilate, surely, if the Jews won't receive the truth, if they reject their own long-awaited Savior, their Creator, surely a government official will be honest. (laughs) Right? Surely he'll defend the truth. Surely he'll stand up for the truth. So they're all playing at their Christianity, aren't they? It's a game. So long as you don't defend me with, or offend me with the truth, I'll play. And I'll agree. And I'll follow. But the moment you tell me the real truth about how deceitful and deceptive and wicked I am, I ain't playing anymore. And Christians do this all the time. Christmas, though it's beautiful and bright, is telling you you're a liar. Light came into the darkness, but not you. Not you. Christmas is a indictment of the pride of all of us. So desperate was our condition that God's own son had to come to remedy it. That's what it took. It didn't, an angel couldn't do it. A government ruler couldn't do it. A human king couldn't do it. Our lying, our givenness in ourselves to darkness, to lies, could only be remedied by the eternal Son of God coming down to earth to save you from you and your love of lying. Christmas is giving you the gift and the present of telling you you're a liar. But the truth has come to set you free from it. But you will never know the freedom if you'll not believe the truth that we're liars. And so how do you respond to that? Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. He told Pilate that he is a king. But unlike any king Pilate had ever seen, his kingdom is a kingdom of truth. The reigning character of Christ's kingdom is glorious, beautiful, freeing truth. You'll never be deceived by his rule. You'll never be let down. You know all the mess we have in the Middle East between Israel and Palestine? You might know a bit of the history that at one point 
England was in charge there, and they made promises to the Zionists to give them part of Palestine. They made promises to the Palestinians to give them that, and then they made promises to one of the other nations that they would rule it all at the same time in order to get all of them to fight on their side in World War I. And then when they won World War I, they went, uh, uh-oh, we made promises to all of you that you'd all have this piece of earth. <laughs> Jesus never does that. He's not a liar. You can trust that he will always, always, always be truthful. But we're not like that. Parents aren't like that, are they? You always want to believe that your child is good and right. We're so dishonest about our children, especially when we're talking about other people, with other people. Now, I'm not saying we need to constantly tell them how bad our children are, but we always want to make it seem as if our children are good. Why? Because then we'll be seen as good parents. It's constant. I mean, we're willing to admit the sin of anybody else's children, but not our own. Our children just make mistakes every once in a while, but they're good. If you write something, let's say for a school, and it's going to be edited or critiqued by somebody, the moment they start pointing out an error, you despise them for telling you the truth. If you're a musician and you're playing a part and somebody dares tell you how you could play it better, this is what we're like. And so what truth did they kill Jesus for? And he died for the truth. What truth? That we're sinners. And you have a heart that is deceitful above anything else and desperately wicked. That there's no goodness in you. That the only acceptance with God is through him and not through anything in yourself. So that's the truth number one, let's say. Jesus, when they saw him, was full of grace and truth. Go back to John chapter 1. I think it would be a really helpful exercise to take from now until Christmas and just meditate on verse 14. Memorize it, think about it, write about it, create a tune to it and sing it, talk about it. Christ didn't just come to show you what snakes you are, show you how deceitful you are. He came to save you from that. Again, please don't neglect who Jesus constantly gave himself to and who he didn't. He, he didn't come giving the truth to those who deserved it. He didn't come flattering the wealthy, the rulers, the elite, the owners, the high and mighty, the aristocracy. He came to people and revealed to the weak, the needy, the poor, the afflicted, the sick, the demon-possessed, the harlots, the tax collectors, and to them, 
who were readily willing to admit along with him, yeah, yeah, I'm as deceitful as you could ever be, buddy. Then he revealed the truth of his grace. And that's what we see here. What did they see? They saw one full of the grace and mercy of God when they believed the truth about their own sinful fall and wickedness. Then they saw grace. So what do you see when you look at God? Because Jesus is saying here that they saw glory. It's the glory as one reflecting the glory of the Father. When you look at the Father, what do you think of Him as? Do you think of Him as nitpicking? Never satisfied with you. And He just scrutinizes every little part of your life and you can't measure up. Do you know why that's wrong? Do you know what the lie is in that? It isn't that it isn't true that you are that bad. That's true. The truth is that if you're a Christian, he's, he's looking at the righteousness of his son and not you. He's looking at you through his son. There's nothing to nitpick. There's only one who is full of grace and truth that is now your righteousness. Your acceptance with him isn't good when you are good and bad when you're bad. It's always perfect and full of mercy because of Christ. That's the truth. That's the grace of God. You are freed from enslavement to condemnation under all of your miserable, putrid lying because Christ is your truth. And that's how God sees you, through Him, if you are in Christ, by faith. That's the goodness. When Jesus said, He has come to tell the truth, and the truth would set you free, the freedom is to come to God gladly, openly, freely, because Christ is your righteousness. That's the true freedom. That if you come to God the Father through Christ, all you will ever find is, this is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. Why? Because Christ was his beloved son in whom he well pleased and we're in Christ. And when they looked at Jesus, that's the grace that they saw that was full of glory. They saw finally acceptance with the Father, cleansing of their conscience, reconciliation and assurance that God would be their God and they would be his people. That's the freedom with which they were set free from. That's what the truth that you believe leads to the freedom that you so desperately want. You think God is constantly dissatisfied with you. It's because you are not looking to Christ, but to yourself. But when you begin to see Christ, when you begin to behold how good He is and what He did to satisfy God's anger at our sin, then you begin to behold one that is just brimming full of grace and mercy and kindness and gentleness and patience and acceptance. Isn't that freeing? Wouldn't that be wonderful? The truth that they saw in Christ was that God is gracious to sinners because of Christ. So look to Jesus. 
Take your mind to him. Don't listen to yourself so often. Don't listen to others. Take your mind to Christ. I'm not saying play light with your sin. I'm not saying just go on sinning because grace abounds. I am saying the solution to your sin is Christ. The freedom that we have of the truth is Christ. This is why Christians are constantly told you have to deny yourself. The denial is the denial of anything that takes you away from Jesus. Because he is far, far, far greater. What else in your life, if you behold it, do you see as full of grace and truth? Is there anything else? Is there anything else if you give yourself to it? What you receive from it is divine fullness of eternal grace and mercy and good, good, good truth. Is there anything else? Anyone else? So we deny ourselves things that take us from him because he is the fullness of the goodness of God to us. God doesn't tell you just to get rid of stuff. Like a minimalist who just, for whatever reason, thinks it's fun to get rid of things. Minimalize to maximize. To enjoy more fully Christ that you would get rid of everything if you could have him more. That's the truth. So we deny ourselves sin. Why? Because it takes us from him. We deny ourselves those things that captive our minds and hearts. Why? Because we want Jesus. We agree with God that we are sold as slaves under sin so that we don't look at any goodness in ourselves or in this world, but only to Christ. That's the freedom. That's the truth. Now, you can also apply the reality that Christ came into the world to bear witness to the truth, that he will teach you the truth, the truth will set you free to everything in your life if you'll give yourself to believing God's word. I mean, the big truth, of course, the freeing truth is that we have acceptance with God through Christ. That's the truth. But it's also true that if you as a husband will give yourself to learning by God's word and observing other godly men what it looks like to be a good husband, it'll be a better, freer life. God's word and obedience to it by faith brings incredible freedom. Jesus said in John 8 that anyone who practices sin is a slave to it. Which means, of course, if we will go to Christ and find acceptance with God and then grow in the faith to repent of our sin and walk in his ways, you will only find increasing freedom and joy and happiness, even if circumstantially things are not perfect in your life. Jesus is the good shepherd that leads us to still waters. What is that? Well, it's the faith to believe God's word and practice it and give yourself to it, to get your mind sympathetical with Scripture and not just your old ways of thinking. For instance, if you're lazy and don't work hard 
and things aren't working well for you and you complain and gripe. It's always everybody else's fault. No, it's that you're a lazy slug. And if you'll be lazy, all you'll find is slavery. But if you'll give yourself to getting a job and working hard and getting better at it, you know what you'll find? An incredible amount of freedom. Why? Because God's word is freeing. If you're a teenage daughter in your household and you are finding lots of conflict with your mom and dad, it could be you. I mean, what do they say today? I'm just saying. That's what you say when you want to say something the truth but not shuffle the cost of saying the truth. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I mean, it's your parents. They are bad. But it's you. If you'll learn some humility before your parents and some slow to speak and quick to hear, it'll be freeing. You can apply this everywhere, can't you? Jesus said in 8.31, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. It is good to abide in the truth of God's word. It is freeing. Parents, if you do not spank your child, you are leading him or her to a life of enslavement. But if you will have the simple, honest obedience to God's word to discipline your child faithfully in love for sin, you will lead them to a life of freedom. But we always, always, always think we're wiser than God and that our ways will lead to green pastures. And they don't, do they? They lead to deserts. Right? But let's end with John 14, 1 to 6. So turn there with me. <clears throat> Just listen to the goodness, the, the fullness of the grace and truth of Christ here. I, I, I want this to leave you reassured. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me and Christ. This is Jesus speaking, who is the truth, right? You can trust him. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If Jesus is full of truth, what he says here can be utterly, utterly trusted. He has gone to prepare a place for you. He himself will return again, a second Advent, a second Christmas, but far better to take you to be with Him. So long as you continue to seek Him, who is full of truth, who is full of life, and so is the only way to the Father. Let's pray. Father, help us to see the truth about ourselves, so that we might see the truth of your grace, how graciously you accept us in your Son. And we might look to him in everything. And so give us faith to hold fast 
to your Son, who is our life, who is our light, who is our everything. Help us to see him full of grace and truth and set aside all things that we might have him and hold him dearly far above everything else in our lives. And then may that reality of the goodness of your son in his word give us faith to grow in obedience to every word that you've ever said because it is good and right and true and pure and lovely and by keeping it there is great goodness. And so, God, please help us now. We are in need. Help us to humble ourselves under your mighty hand. In Jesus' name, amen.